Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jonathan Pasquale. I have the honor and privilege of speaking with you today and bringing the message today. Uh, when everyone's out of town, then I get called up from the reserves. Uh, but it is an honor. We've been in the series of Matthew for a while now. We're going to be in it for months. And today we'll take a little break. So, all right. And um, before we get started, I just want to, again, enter into time of prayer. Uh, I need to always prepare myself individually, too. So let me pray for us. Father, I pray for your glory, for you to be glorified in this time as we worship and study together. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you move in and through me. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Be praised, God. Amen. So the last time I preached was a little more than a year ago, and at that time I shared about how I was resigning as a lay elder of Resonate. Um, I am not returning. This is temporary, uh, but at the time I shared about how I was entering into a little bit more focus and fully focusing on my day job which is owning and running a coffee business. So if you didn't know that, that uh, the coffee that you're drinking in, in the lobby has a little bit of a connection to that. Um, and for you Resonate folks who have been here for years, uh, as I served as an elder for seven years, many of my sermon topics were about faith and work. It's my favorite topic, and I go on and on, and you may have heard a personal lecture from me, even standing out in the lobby. And uh, today, bless your hearts, we're going to do that again. <laughs> and so we're going to talk about faith and work. Uh, and I want to ask you, I want to start out by kind of doing a little informal poll. Uh, what do you do? What do you do for work? And so um, let's, let's go around and share a little bit. Uh, like, Megan, what, what do you do? What do you do? Marketing and marketing. Cross this over here. Sales. Teach. Phil. An, an executor. Is executor. All right. Okay. <laughs> Kristen. What, Kristen. What, what do you? What do you do? Sustainability. All right. Travis. Yes. Services. Braves. Right, go Braves. Uh, all right. Who, who else? Just, just shout it out. People around you. Yeah. Consulting? All right. Yes. Yes. Thank you. What else? Healthcare. Healthcare. All right. What's that? Law. Law. From Jonathan Mayo over there. All right. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Kyle, I, I want to hear yours. A voice actor. All right. Okay. Okay. So, oh, 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 oh a student. Yes. Student. Now, now there, there is a wide variety here, and um, I was having a conversation this week in uh, Bible study on Wednesday nights, and one of the men uh, sat right here as we were sharing at our table, and we're in First Peter, and we were learning about being sojourners and exiles in this world. And one of the other men said, all right, I'm struggling with this a little bit, um, and, and he said, how is it that we can be sojourners and exiles in this world, or for me to live that out when I feel like my life is just looking like the rest of the world. Like I've got a regular job, and I've got a wife and kids, and this is my prime earning years, and yeah, that's all well and good, but like I feel like the Bible's telling me 
as a sojourner in exile, I should drop everything and go be a missionary on this side of the world. I feel like that's, that's some of the struggle that, that we, me included, sometimes feel when we think about, reflect on our jobs, our careers. Because not one of you talked about being a, a pastor or, or a missionary. Um, there are those in this room, but a lot of us have what we would say are just regular jobs. What do we do with that? We read the Bible and we read about Moses, called out by God, Abraham. We hear the disciples, okay, they were called like by Jesus himself. And when we talk about vocation, which is the literal word is being called, a calling for our work, we don't actually necessarily talk about that being a call to ministry. And when we say a calling in the church context, we usually only reserve it for full-time traditional ministry. So what are we going to do with that? I do want to acknowledge that there are those in ministry and mission. Um, we have the Kellys. Jake was just right up here. They're in mobilization. And um, we have Chris and Sarah and Brent who are in full-time staff here. Uh, we have those who we've sent out from our fellowship, Scott and Jenna and Kyla and, and uh, Amy. Um, and to, to those of you, I would say, like, fulfill your call. Keep doing that. And when people ask you, all right, what am I supposed to do in being called by God and filling that with my career? Think about this message. So today we're going to look at a passage of the Bible where we don't see people being called by God out of their work. We see people being called by God to worship through their work. All right? It's not work they leave to obey the Lord. It's work that they proudly carry out to fulfill his will. So it tells us in 1 Peter that we are studying in Bible study uh, 2.9. It says that we are a royal priesthood, but we're not all professional priests or pastors, right? Does that mean we have less, <clears throat> less significant jobs? And does that mean that we don't participate in ministry and worship through our work or our talents? And today we're going to look in Exodus, okay? We're going to look at how people use their everyday secular jobs and their earned resources to be joyfully generous in adoration of the Almighty. We're going to see how people worshiped through their work. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Exodus uh, chapters 31 and 35 where we're going to be. And so go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. There should be scripture on the screens, I think. Uh, if someone help me out with that. And uh, as a church, we studied the book of Exodus a couple years ago, so this may be familiar to, to a few of you. At this point in the story of Exodus, in, in the chapters 30 and following, the Israelites, they've, they've cried out to God for help um, from Pharaoh, deliverance from Pharaoh. They've been led through the desert and through the wilderness um, by God, uh, and, and he was using Moses to do that. And now they're in the wilderness, and they're receiving instructions from the Lord on how are they supposed to worship him, okay? So they're getting direct instructions on, here's how you're supposed to worship me, um, the Lord, and he confirmed his covenant with the people, and he's given them specific instructions about a tabernacle. Okay, the tabernacle was a tent. It was the place where God would meet with the priests, um, and uh, he would interact directly with his people. And then he gave instructions about all the minute details about the construction of the temple. I mean, it goes on and on for like 
chapters about those detailed instructions. And then um, talks about the elements of worship and the materials and all, all of the physical aspects of it for chapters. And if you read through the Bible and you start with Genesis and you go on, you know, you, you have this narrative and it's really exciting and it reads like a story. And then you get these sections where it like slogs through some details and you just kind of skim through it. You're like, all right, I don't know what a cubit is. And then they admit this material and it's all these lists. And it kind of gets a little bit boring. And so sometimes we have to remind ourselves, what's the goal of even those sections of the Bible? And what's the goal? It's, it's the glory of the Lord. It's worship of the Lord. The goal and intent of all those detailed instructions and guidelines, the purpose of the tabernacle, the purpose of the priests, the end goal is worship of the Lord. And that's what it is for us too, right? Always. The end goal of the written word, the end goal of every part of salvation history, the end goal of our lives, it's worship of the Lord. So as that, as a reminder... Um, let's see how these chapters connect work and worship. So Exodus 31, starting with verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. Ah, so this actually is the first time in the entire Bible when someone is being described as being filled with the Spirit of God. First time, okay? So not Adam, not Noah, not Abraham or Moses. The first time someone is being described as being filled with the Spirit of God, it's an artist, an artisan, a craftsman, a worker. Really interesting. And then back in the opening chapter of the Bible, um, when you do have uh, the act of creation, uh, you have spirit of God present. The spirit of God is creator. And here that same creative spirit fills and empowers a person to exercise creative artistry. And to do what exactly? Verse four, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and carving wood to work in every craft. Okay, so God gave this guy uh, intelligence, knowledge, craftsmanship, artistic design ability in metalworking and woodworking. Verse six, and behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. So given to all able men, this is actually not a great translation. I'm going to officially object. Translation in the ESV. Anyone have any other phrase in a different translation in your Bible? Skilled artisans. Does it say just men? No, okay, good. It is not a gendered word in the original Hebrew, okay? So it should read more as, uh, I've given every, I give ability to every skilled worker, or I put skill into the heart of every artisan, so not just able men. The point being that the Lord is the source of creativity, source of abilities, of our talents. So not just those of Bezalel and Aholiab, but all artists, all workers, Men and women. So this more inclusive interpretation is heavily supported in verses we'll read later. But uh, there is this beautiful connection um, of God and artistry and creativity. And where else can you find such direct validation uh, of artistic design being given by and empowered by God? So if you're an artist, hear and remember that your talent with, uh, with paint, with photography, um, with woodworking, maybe you're gifting um, at decorating your home, and creating uh, welcoming places of hospitality. Maybe uh, your, your uh, technique and talent with Illustrator and Photoshop. That's all given by and empowered by God. 
God as creator. He's the ultimate designer. He's the ultimate creator. We have to see that connection here. So God gives Aholiab as an assistant to Bezalel, and he says that it gives every artist in their ability and skills, okay, skills to make what? Uh, verse 7, the tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, the mercy seat, the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, pure lampstand and its utensils, altar of incense, the altar of bread offering, the basin of the stand, the finely worked garments, the holy garments, the garments, the anointing oil, the fragrant of incense, all these things I have commanded you they shall do. It was every aspect of the tabernacle's construction and service. A long list of all those things. What if that had been a construction that takes place today? Would we have seen that there was an HVAC system and that God was giving and empowering skilled HVAC technicians? Maybe they had Wi-Fi. And then we would see that God's giving the the, uh, supernatural spirit filled workers with a skill of network tech support. And we see is, is God, God laid out the requirements and then issued the work order down to the most minute details of these physical elements of a building and of the service. It would take lots of work. And um, God, God can do anything, right? He could have snapped his fingers and then instantaneously had all that stuff appear. But he didn't do that. He's invited the Israelites into the act of work and creation into being co-workers and co-creators with God to shape wood and metal, yeah? to weave clothing, to lift and move and to assemble all these physical things, all with the end goal being worship of the Lord. And, and the tabernacle would exist to be that earthly, portable dwelling place that God would, would move with the people of Israel um, until they arrived in the promised land where a permanent temple would later be constructed And by his grace, he brings people into this experience of work and creation of the tabernacle. Work. And we got to remember that work is not the result of the fall. We think about work as punishment. We think about, and and I know we do, like we think about, okay, uh, man is condemned to work by the sweat of his brow. Like we, we associate the work that we do, that we have every day, the whole concept of it as punishment for sin. But in its purest concept and form, work is given by God and it's good. If we really read Genesis correctly, in Genesis 1.28, the creation mandate, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. In other words, go and do the labor necessary to create and to build culture and to work and to flourish. And then even more explicitly in Genesis 2.15, God created man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work, and this was pre-fall. It was before temptation to sin. So work is not punishment for sin. Work was created by God, and it is good. It's a reflection of his character, his character as worker and creator and artist. And so I love these passages in Exodus today we're studying because we see God himself mandate work, reminded of that pure godly nature of work, of labor, and, and it's one that I can relate to my life today when I'm doing something that just feels like work. And I go into the coffee shop and I bake off muffins at 5.30 a.m. And then I supervise and manage baristas and maybe I teach people about espresso extraction. But I can remind myself, okay, I'm doing something empowered by God. I'm fulfilling my created identity through how I work. I'm obeying his will for my life. 
I'm leading to worship and glorification of the Lord. We'll connect all those dots. And maybe you're listening to this and you're saying, okay, but uh, you just looked at Bezalel and Aholiab and that's it. And they were supernaturally gifted artisans. I'm no artist. Like, that can't apply to my life. Like, it's a stretch to connect that to consulting or to all the things that you all listed. But what else happened in the construction of the tabernacle? Let's go to Exodus 35 and we're going to see it's more than just those two guys. When the actual physical construction starts to take place, here's what happens. Uh, 35 verses 4 and following. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, bronze. Okay, so our God is a communal God. And he made it a communal work to construct the palace or the place and means of worshiping him. Everyone who wanted to take part could. And he said, whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring something. So not just the woodworkers, not just the blacksmiths. So they were going to need metal, yeah. They were going to need yarn and thread and animal skins and wood and oil and spices and valuable stones. And instead of all that stuff magically appearing in the wilderness, which he could have done, God could have done, he made that happen with manna and quail, right? But instead of just making it instantaneously appear, it's offered up as an opportunity to everyone to participate through generous giving. And this chapter goes on to emphasize over and over the communal nature of this project in verse 20 and following. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for its service and for the holy garments. And so they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart. And so if you go through it and see throughout this section, it is almost in excess that it repeats all these kinds of phrases of all, everyone, like 15 times over the course of about 25 verses or so. God was to be worshipped, and the work to get there was going to be a beautiful collective effort. Not just a couple of people. Everyone. All. Men and women. And what was the qualification to take part? Was it that you had specifically know how to cast metal um, or to embroider a tapestry? No. It, It was a willing heart, a movement of the Spirit. So you can hear the objection on the part of the Israelites uh, at that time. And they would say, like, well, of course, the the talented artists, they're the ones who get called up to do the work. Uh, Or, yeah, Moses, yeah, he's the one who, or or the priests get to have the holy call to be those mediators, the ones who are really taking care of religious service. No way God could use me, an animal herder. Or no way he can use me, a fabric dyer, to do the big acts of ministry. Or maybe they said, I don't have a skill or job outside the home. Or maybe they said, I'm old and I am done working and I'm retired. Or I'm, or I'm young and I'm still in school. All objections that they could have given, that we give today, to excuse ourselves from believing that we have something valid to contribute to ministry and mission. But here we see the repeated refrain. Everyone, all, whoever, men and women, young and old, everyone with a willing heart and whose spirit moves them, everyone gets to participate in worship of the Lord. Whatever he's given, be it talents or skill or money or ingredients in your pantry, what matters is the heart. And then the people, they stepped up. 
And they gave. They gave so generously that there was too much. It goes on to say in Exodus 35:29, and then into chapter 36 that, that they received from Moses all the contribution the people of Israel had brought and then they still kept bringing him things. And then it says, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded. And Moses said this, he said, Let, uh, the, the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. Like they, they had to be stopped. Moses had to say, stop, you're giving way too much. I mean, it's ridiculous. Have you ever heard that in the church? I mean, what if we got to that point? Like, what if we said, okay, stop signing up for Surf Sunday, all right? All the, the volunteer places are full. Stop signing up to volunteer and resonate kids because um, we have too many people who want to disciple our children on Sunday mornings. Or, or stop giving to a meal train because that family that had the baby, their freezer's too full of casseroles now. We don't hear this in the church. In Exodus, um, the overabundance, it happened not because everyone was rich and they just gave out of their excess. It happened because they understood that ministry and worship was not the work of a few, it was the work of all. And that's why there was overabundance. They understood they could live out unique callings. They could be in their regular day jobs, non-official ministry professions, and still fully participate in worship of the Lord through what they did and what they had to give. So the people in these passages, Bezalel and Oholiab, multiple craftsmen, and really every willing person, they were all contributing to the worship of the Lord that would take place in the tabernacle and with the objects of religious ceremony. So for us today, worship of the Lord, it's not limited to the tabernacle or to the temple. For us today in Christ, we are the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so we still use our creativity, our craftsmanship, our resources to point people to the Lord, to worship, not to construct a physical place, but through our lives being put on display as the body of Christ. Our opportunity is to very tangibly live out lives of worship through our work, through our creativity, through our talents. That's our calling, whether it's through vocational ministry or regular jobs or whatever the Lord has you have doing day in and day out. So let's talk through some of those practicals. And um, I, la- I love some good alliteration, so we're going to have three E's, okay, for you today. Um, one is going to be excellence, Two is going to be earning, and three is going to be elevate, okay? So these are, how are we going to apply these lessons to our everyday jobs? Excellence, okay? Do your work in such a way that when others see the quality of your work and you fulfilling your job, the creativity or your art, that the observer's hearts and minds are raised heavenward. I bet the, the quality work that Bezalel and Aholiab um, and all those craftsmen, what they did was beautiful and awe-inspiring. And you ever see someone who's like so good at their job, you're like, wow, that's, that's incredible. And you want to you like give some kind of uh, uh, expression of praise and adoration. And really that's you being drawn to that beauty that is from God. 
And I know I've had those moments when I, when I hear about what people are doing within this body at Resonate in those jobs that you just listed off. In our life group, um, John Wolf, uh, when I hear about him as a medical dosimetrist, um, using photons and protons and beaming them into people's bodies so that cancer's zapped out. Like, that's amazing. And when, when I see the work of uh, Amanda Tate in design, and we have benefited in our own home from the way she designed these spaces that came to life, and they're beautiful, and we get to join them every single day. I hear about uh, Courtney Carmichael, who, uh, she's in the back, um, and, and she, she shares these stories about successful uh, genealogical family history research. Amazing stories, and she's talking about how maybe she wants to turn that into a career. And, and, and Chris Averett, who works with me um, in, in the coffee business, when he trains someone else to roast coffee and then they take green coffee beans and then they, they take the care to sample and then to tweak flavor profiles and then um, they iterate on that and, and the end result is a delicious cup of coffee that you just had this morning. And so delicious and you want to say, oh man, God, that's good. <laughs> um, each person... Doing, doing these acts of work. I mean, they're, they're passionately fulfilling the Lord's call in their lives. They might not always realize that's what they're doing. But when that's shared with and observed by others, there's this opportunity for, for admiration and for gratitude that when rightly placed, we really see ah, that, that that's heavenward. That, that came from God. He is that creator and designer, the one that empowered them to do that work, the one that gave them those talents. Jesus himself um, said uh, in, in Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that may, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, now, sometimes we just translate that as charitable good deeds, but it's the same word used as work, that they may see you working good. <laughs> they may see your good work and then praise your Father in heaven. When people see the way that we as believers fulfill our jobs wholeheartedly and do excellent work, God can be praised. So excellence is one way to worship through work. Uh, next way is by earning. The other, next E. You work and you earn your paycheck and you use resources and money towards efforts that result in worship, praise, and kingdom work. We saw how the people, they gave contributions in Exodus. They had other jobs. They received a, a paycheck. They gave out of their earnings. So where are you spending yours? Your earnings, your paycheck. Matthew 26, or 6, 21, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So have you ever taken that at face value and just kind of tallied up maybe your bank statement or your credit card and be like, where is my treasure? Like, what am I actually building towards? Look at the real numbers and categories of spending. And maybe if others would see those, what would they assume about your priorities in life? Whether you are investing in eternity or in this passing world. So that's your, that's your money. But how also are you using your tangible assets, your resources, your home, your stuff for God's glory? You maybe you have that house or um, extra bedroom or a car that just sits in your driveway. Can you pray about how to, how to donate or to make available or to lend out any of that wealth of resources? Are you maybe being called to use your safety and security and abundance to open up your home to foster an adoption? 
or open up your home to be a, a host for the weekly life group meeting. And this isn't just about um, checking off box. It's not about a 10% tithe. It's about a holistic understanding that your finances and your tangible property and resources, it all belongs to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. Who you are, what you do, what you earn, it's all his. So you, you worship by working with excellence. You worship um, by stewarding your earnings in obedience to the Lord. And you worship by intangibly elevating your concept of work. So elevate, internally believe that your work is worship. And this is a hard one, but I think this is, this is maybe the most important one. <laughs> to my brother from the Wednesday night Bible study who was struggling with reconciling his, his finance job with um, the idea of being a sojourner in exile in this world, um, this is my exhortation to him and then to you if you feel like that. Um, elevate your concept of work. Believe that your work is worship. With what we've been talking about today, I want to challenge that separation of of faith and then regular jobs. The separation of of Sunday and Monday. We're not all called to be pastors and and missionaries, but we are all called to live lives of ministry and worship. As you are going, make disciples of all nations. So think of of the women of Israel who were um, maybe career yarn spinners, if that was a job then, um, someone had to do it. Uh, where did they see redemptive value in that work? I mean, it's tedious, right? Like monotonous work, working with, with threads, uh, and it didn't immediately have visible, finished uh, work results that they could see and say, oh, I made that. They're just spinning yarn. You may feel like you're in a similar job where you are pointlessly spinning yarn or clicking on spreadsheets or being the gopher for a supervisor, or filling out reports, or picking up yet another toy off the floor of your home. And yet even the yarn spinners were included in those whose hearts were stirred and who experienced the movement of the Spirit. They were learning how to view their work as worship, as contributing to worship and glory of the Lord. In the New Testament, the Christian church Even slaves were called to elevate their concept of work. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That's directed to servants. Whatever you do, work as to the Lord. There was this man who who lived uh, in the 17th century in France. And he joined the army just to have food and clothes. Uh, He was poor. And he worked as a servant in a home for years and eventually lived at a monastery. And um, he was an uneducated lay monk. And he lived out his existence working in the kitchen. Um, And he was cooking food and washing dishes. And he was known as Brother Lawrence. And in the book, uh, Practicing the Presence of God, he talks about elevating your sense of work, of thinking about even the most menial and lowly tasks as worship. So he says this, nor is it needful that we should have great things to do. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him. And that done, if there's nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself on the kitchen floor in worship before him who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a piece of trash from the ground for the love of God. 
So in your life and work, pursue excellence so people are pointed to God. Impact the kingdom through how you use your earnings and then elevate your view, your concept of work to the status of holy worship. What do you risk by not embracing this like holy and holistic view of work? There's a story that serves as a stern warning sandwiched in between the passages that we looked at today. So in Exodus 31, um, we have instructions being laid out for the construction of the tabernacle, the, the who and the how behind the construction of tabernacle and the objects of worship. And then in chapters 35 and 36, it's actually carried out. But in the middle, in your Bibles, what story that's familiar to us is there? The golden calf, okay? I think it's sandwiched in there really purposefully. You have, you have people being um, given instructions and then carrying out, uh, constructing something. You have construction of something in the middle there. You have it being a collective effort and then an artist, craftsman, fashioning different things. That's happening in the story of the golden calf. I think they're there to, to, to be really obvious contrast. But, but to the one, work is connected to idolatry. Oh, in the one in the middle. <laughs> the other, work is connected to worship. I think when we neglect to remind ourselves that it's all about worship and glorification of the Lord, we open the door to putting something else on that pedestal. That's what happened to the people of Israel. They forgot as Moses was on the mountain and they're like, ah, oh, it's taking too long. They're like, what are we gonna do with ourselves? Well, let's forget about the Lord. Let's, let's do this thing that makes us feel good. And then we're gonna worship that. And so, instead of using our God-given talents and skills and jobs and resources for his glory, we're using it for the things that are of the world. Temporary happiness, entertainment, status and reputation, a big enough nest egg that we can feel safe and secure. I want us to reevaluate our own views. You to reevaluate your view of your work and your resources if you haven't done so already. Embrace a, a biblical worldview of those things and join me in a movement. Because there is a movement. The Bible, it, it gives us time-honored grounding of um, foundation of work as worship. Okay, from this passage in Exodus to, uh, to Jesus as a carpenter, to the disciples as fishermen, to Paul as a tent maker, there's these examples of work. And in recent years, in the last few decades, there has been an obvious national and, and global um, movement among the Christian church to rightly view and live out our jobs as ministry, work as worship. And there's a wealth of resources on this topic. I'm just gonna give you a couple really quick. And if you want to, jot them down. Uh, there is a book called Every Good Endeavor, written by the late Timothy Keller. And it's an incredible book. If you um, got a little uh, pricked a little bit by the message, uh, a lot is in there about the theology of work and, um, and viewing work as worship. It's a great starting point. There's also uh, this website, the theologyofwork.org. And uh, the, the people behind that have taken every single book of the Bible and then written commentary on how this applies, uh, the idea, the concept of work and worship, the theology of work. 
looking at it from that angle. Use that as a resource. Uh, find out what scripture has to say about God's view of work. So you can learn about it with these kinds of resources. And then practically, there's, there's just doing it. There's live out your jobs with this mindset. And so if you're in the marketplace, some people dub this marketplace ministry, um, do your job for the glory of God in the place where he has you right now in this season of life. We just went through it, those three E's, okay? Excellence, earnings, and elevate. Do that in your job. And maybe one of the ways you could apply this practically is consider doing that job among the nations. You know, with all companies more commonly incorporating a remote workforce as the norm, you could join a mission team in any city with an internet connection. You could do your same job that you're doing right now. And actually, uh, we sent out Amy, she's doing this. She had a job at an architecture company here in, this, in, in Atlanta. And then they were in process to being sent out as missionaries. And she just asked her company and said, could I just do this job over there? And they said yes. And uh, Austin Samuelson, he's been investigating that for the last couple of years. He's an engineer. And, and how to take his, uh, his mechanical engineering background, his same job, and he's looking at job postings um, or seeing where his company has global offices. And he just may do that in the next couple of years. Maybe see if there's an opportunity in your job to do your same work, log into the same virtual meetings, just in a different time zone, and then you can join a missions organization. We have resources and connections, um, Africa Inland Mission, Pioneers, Frontiers, these different mission organizations where you can take your job, join a team that they have on-field strategy and they're, they're, they're uh, supporting each other and then church planning and evangelizing. They're being believers in, in a global city, but you could be doing your exact same job that you're doing here in Atlanta. So um, another thing, I've shared about this before, but uh, for me as a business owner and entrepreneur, I'm a part of what's called the business as mission movement, and it's a big umbrella, but uh, basically business leaders understanding how um, the companies they lead and the products they make, the services they provide, can be instrumental in kingdom work and glorifying God among the nations. So it's approaching business holistically and... Um, and intentionally pursuing social and societal improvements, environmental stewardship, financial profitability, and spiritual impact through all aspects of a given, given business in, in any industry. And for the last four years, I've actually served as a, as a coach and consultant in this community and business's mission. I love talking about this stuff uh, with entrepreneurs and business owners. So if that's you, find me afterwards, let's talk about it. Um, and if you're an entrepreneur, we actually have a group that meets every month connected to the faith-driven entrepreneur movement an organization um, that they really seek to empower people who are applying their faith in their entrepreneurial endeavors. We meet every third Thursday of the month. We've been meeting here, but actually this month, and uh, week and a half, third Thursday, we're actually gonna start meeting at Oppo Coffee, my business. Um, it's a little more accessible, uh, but join us in that. But here, here's the bottom line. We saw it in the passages in Exodus, and we see it today. God is calling individuals to lead. Uh, he's calling his people, his church, to be mobilized using their God-given abilities, using their creativity, their vocations, their salaries for the expansion of the kingdom of God and worship of the Lord. Heed his call. Let's glorify the Lord together.
in this, in your job, worship by working with excellence, by stewarding your earnings for the kingdom of God, and by elevating your concept of work as worship. We're going to transition to a time of reflection. Sarah's going to come up and lead us through that. But um, I want you to think about those jobs that you mentioned, that you called out, what you're doing day in and day out. Maybe it's not a job with a paycheck in an office. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's through study. Maybe it's what you do with your day when you're retired or as a student. Think about those things as we reflect 